0: Oh, you're watching online? Yeah? You watch you watch Daniel receive his? And you said, oh, we were supposed to be there. Que paso? <laughs> you were laying in bed watching me on TV? You know, a lot of people do that. Uh, well, you know, one of these days I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to preach on my bed and get, send you guys the video. Here, you know what? Uh, this is the trend now, so... Well, which no, I won't take the day off. But which is the uh, which is the trend? I think in a lot of churches they uh, they have campuses all over the place, and the pastor, you know, he kind of preaches, and they send it out to all these campuses. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I think, you know, so. Um, but it's a it's a good way of getting the message out to other places, other 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 areas of the the country, or sometimes even just the city itself as the churches grow. But uh, anyways, here we are on the. Really had a great time last night. Uh, it was a great time. People showed up. There were some people that have, have committed to being a part, and they're, they're making arrangements to be part of our church. and uh, Just some great things that happened last night. It was just so awesome. Uh, kids had a lot of fun. We had over 24 kids. We had more kids than we have adults right now. Uh, and all the kids are over there. And uh, we had a lot, of, uh, a lot of adults, a lot of people showed up. And it was just good. And it snowed. Told you it was going to snow. <laughs> we had a snow machine put out. Nobody knew it was there. And so that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Kids went out there and played on it. And it was a bubble machine, or I forget what they call them. But it was cool. Yeah, it was nice. It was a good little addition. Uh, we also had, we had, we had a, um, a train set that the guy was ready to come out. I had called him a while back, and I forgot to cancel. And he, hey, are you still on for Saturday? No, we don't have any room. You know, but he was willing to come out, really nice guy. Out of Pomona, but uh, we had so much, so many activities, so many things to do, uh, a lot of food, and it was great. So uh, that was awesome to hear and to see. Okay, so let's uh, let's go to Lord and prayer. Let's pray for our uh, the people that we have on our prayer list. As some of you probably know, maybe you don't know, uh, Papa. He's just looking at me. <laughs> should I? Should I not? <laughs> uh, my my mom passed away this last Thursday uh, on the fifteenth she finally gave up her glass breath and uh and i got the call the wednesday before the night before so I, I made it a point to be there and uh so could pray for our family uh also pray for the uh hernandez family uh lupi hernandez and um you know they, they will be having a funeral service with them here in a couple of weeks here at the at, here at uh, north park continue to pray for sylvia Sylvia is really just uh struggling the loss of her son of course we'll continue to pray for her and um let me see here. I, I don't have my bulletin in front of me, so I can't remember whoever, who else that we had on there. But um, uh, for Richard and Eileen, yeah, would, that's right. We'll keep you guys in prayer as well. All right. So any other prayer requests that we may have? We'd like for you to know, and we'd like for, for most people, and for all people to know, and, uh, and and of course the Lord to know, that we we hold prayer in a high high value. We We, we love communicating with God, one-on-one, corporately, we love communicating with God, and uh, we just want you to know that we are our church of prayer. We want to pray for you throughout the week on Sundays, and we ask that you do, you continue to do the same for everyone else. This is why we put that list on. But uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, once again, we do thank you for this joyous time, Lord, that we're able to celebrate and enjoy um, this song, the music, the, the message, and just time with you and with one another. It, it is a blessing, Lord. It is uh, such a, a blessing to, to know that, that there are people, like-minded people, that are willing to strive forward through all this darkness in the world. And it was at the right time that you sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. And we lift up every one of these petitions, Lord, for those that are spoken and, and those that aren't spoken, those that we uh, may have forgotten, and those that are within the sound of my voice that um, are, are struggling with life and with so many other things with the loss of their loved ones as well. And Father, we pray specifically for Sylvia today. We lift her up to you uh, as she is struggling with, with all kinds of things, Lord, especially the loss of her son. But, but give her the peace and comfort as uh, Danny is able to encourage her and build her up and, and to lead her and the family, Lord. Uh, we do pray for um, uh, the, the Hernandez family and uh, for Lupus' kids. We pray that you strengthen them so, so young to have to endure something like this. Life is just getting started for them with their children and their marriages. And I, I just thank you for them, Lord. We also pray for Richard Eileen. Keep them uh, uh, just covered in, in your love and in your comfort. Thank you for the, the time that we were able to share yesterday, to be able to touch families and, and to be able to encourage children and just the gifts and everything, all the laughter that was taking place yesterday, Lord. We just thank you for that. And so, Father, we come before you just knowing that your word is sufficient. It's all we need. Well, all we need to know is who Jesus Christ is. And, and Lord, the world is compl- uh, complicated and convoluted. Uh, Jesus and uh, mixed him up to be somewhat of a Santa Claus. And and, and so now we, we we go to him, people go to him and requesting and begging and asking and demanding the gifts be given to, to each individual. Well, Lord, we know that that is far from it. And uh, we pray, Lord, that we continue to learn uh, this doctrine of who Jesus Christ is because this is the most important teaching that we can ever uh, grasp. And so, Lord, I, I just thank you for the ability to share that and, and compart with my my fellow believers and, and Lord to and just lead us and uh give us the understanding through your word as to the significance to our Christmas and our time, the first the beginning of Christmas. So Lord, I want to thank you as you lead us in all things, we pray. In Jesus' name. And everyone says, An Amen and Amen. Okay, let me ask you to turn to the book of Philippians now. Philippians chapter 2 this is going to be a little familiar we've already gone through this Uh, Philippians and then Colossians we're in Colossians now in the second chapter as well we're going to get that started in the new year and uh, we're doing the Christmas story and Philippians chapter 2 some of you will probably remember a lot of this and I hope you do it'll come back to you if not but but one of the things that I want you to know is that through the book of Philippians and the book book of Colossians and and really mainly through most of paul's writings he is dealing with what we call christology christology now you don't necessarily have to know that term or know what it means but basically christology is the study of or theology, the the study of christ and understanding who christ is christology is a very important doctrine because you want to know who jesus christ is you call yourselves christians and so therefore you should know who christ is amen now so you know that christ is the greek term for messiah the Christos is, is Messiah, or the Anointed One. And in the Old Testament, or the Hebrew language, it was called Messiah. So Christos is the Christ, the Anointed One, and Messiah is the, uh, the the Chosen One, which is the Anointed One as well. So Messiah and Christ are the same thing. And in the Old Testament that was prophesied about the coming Messiah, which was Christ, uh, it was always pointed out that this Christ, or this Messiah, was going to rule uh, the, the heavenly kingdom or w- rule his kingdom. And most of the people got it mix, mixed up thinking that it was a kingdom that was going to be here on this earth. And this God's kingdom or Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. He said that himself. And, and so there are a lot of pictures showing Jesus Christ and pointing to who he is, that the virgin will come with the child and, and she, will bear him, she will bear us or her a son and, uh, and he will be called Emmanuel, a uh, wonderful counselor. The mighty God, Prince of Peace. And so there's indications of who Messiah is going to be. There's indications on in how he's going to fulfill all these things. The problem was, or the mystery was, is that we didn't know, they didn't know who this Messiah was going to be. What I've been sharing with you for the last few weeks is Christology. Basically, Christology is this, that Jesus Christ is sufficient for salvation. He is all you need. Amen. Jesus is sufficient, number one. And number two, well actually number one, should be that Jesus Christ is God. Christ is not his last name, that's his title. But Jesus the Christ is God incarnate. And these are very important, this Christology that I've been sharing with you. Now that you know this, I pray that you can catch on as we go through this. I've not thrown that term out to you because, well, I mean, it's it's important to me and to theologians that study Christology and the Bible and the Word of God. But what's most important for you is for you to know that Jesus Christ is God. Amen? And that He is sufficient. You don't have to do anything else. You don't need anything else. If, if He's If he's elected you, if he's predestined you, if he's adopted you, that's an act that he does, you're saved. Your salvation is not based upon who you are, how good you are, what you've done, or where you come from, what background you have or don't have. You are basically saved, bottom line, because of what Jesus Christ did, and that is sufficient. There's nothing you can do for that. There's nothing you could do because of that. You're saved, you're saved, and that's it. Now start acting like it. That's the bottom. line. Stop saying, well, I messed up. Oh, you know, I fell from grace or I lost my salvation. No, you cannot because God is the one who adopted you. And adoption for us is very important. If you know anything about the adoption system in the United States or in any other place, it is a very thorough uh, process that you go through to make sure that that person becomes your, uh, your, your child, becomes your prodigy in a sense, your... Your your belonging your your family more so than your natural children. You see, because you chose that child, God chose you as His child. And so there are people that are thinking, you know, we're all God's children. No, no, you've got to be born into the kingdom first of all. If you're not born, then you got to be reborn. And what God does is He adopts you and He brings you again and He and, he, and you're born again into His kingdom. Adoption is solely a work of God. Salvation is solely a work of God through Jesus Christ. And as we've been going through the book of Philippians, and we're going through the book of Colossians, what you are learning and what I'm, I'm trying to get across, and I'm, I'm constantly just hammering away at it because Christology is a very important concept, doctrine, teaching, understanding. you got to know your Christology. Because out there, folks, you got all kinds of people saying all kinds of things about who they think Jesus Christ is. They have all kinds of ideas as to how he was born or when he was born, that he was actually born on December 25th. And, uh, and so there's so many different teachings about that. And, and the, the, the verse or the portion of scripture that just nails it of all the scriptures in the Bible, I believe Philippians chapter 2, and as I mentioned, uh, verse 5 through 11, we've gone through this, and we're going to go through it again, but now we're going to go through it with the eyes of Christ, the beginning of Christmas. And again, first of all, Christmas began in the heart of God before the foundations of the world. That's when Christmas began. Jesus Christ wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't, well, you know, now that the people messed up, I got to go down there and straighten everybody out. No, it was always in the heart of God to save his people. He commanded, he gave us, and he, he said, uh, you, if, you, if you obey my commandments, I will bless you. You disobey, you're going to be cursed. He told Adam and Eve, if you eat of this fruit, you will die. And by all, by, by all rights, they should have been dead. And people try to play it off. I say, no, well, you know, they were spiritually dead. They're not physically dead. It was symbolic. No, they should have been dead. When God says, you will surely die, that's exactly what he meant. However, he extended grace. He didn't change his mind when he uh, was going to destroy all the people that Moses was leading. I'm going to just destroy all of them. No, God, please don't. Okay. And God repented is what the Bible says. God didn't repent. God, what he did is he extended grace by all rights. All of us, every single person on this planet ever born doesn't matter who you are what type of standing you how long you've been saved we all deserve the wrath of god but by his grace he extended that grace to you to me and to those that are his and because he's given us that grace what we do now is we worship him we we honor him the things that 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 sick in the heart of god should sicken us the things that that god loves we ought to love as well we love his word we love his people we love his gathering of his people we hate sin we we it sickens us because we get involved in it we repent and we confess and then we move forward and we stray away from it and we stay away from sin and yes we fall we stumble we there are things that we do and we what we do is we just confess and repent that should be a daily process. Confess and repent. Lord, I, I, my thought, confess and repent. You know, I confess. Not telling God what he knows, already knows. That's not what confession is. Confession means to agree with what God knows. When you go to God and you tell him, Lord, I'm a sinner, you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, I know. I know you're a sinner. And you're now you're confessing, you're agreeing with what I already know. Now repent. Let's, and let's move forward. Just don't do that again. And if you do, well, just don't do that again either. And, and you just keep going and you keep moving. So Christology is, is very important. I like the way they say it in Spanish. Suma importante. I mean, it is just more important than anything you can ever know because it is by the finished work of Christ that we're saved. Because if Jesus Christ would have just been born, it would have been great. We would have press. Uh, presents and christmas and we had our our party yesterday and all the food that was brought by the way there was some amazing foods that were brought you know I maybe mean, we should do that more often and try to instead of trying to limit people to what they have to bring you know but i don't know that's something that the coordinators will have to have to get across oh and by the way i just want you to know it was such a huge success i really want to thank james and Winter for helping us this year i mean and putting that together yeah give them a hand exactly I mean, you know, it was it was. It's always been a difficult task, but they came, they stepped up, and you know, they they carried it forward. And then I want to thank all the puppeteers as well. Those of you guys there, you go, Lish, she loved the puppets. <laughs> the puppeteers, first time ever, you know. Well, some of them had done this before, but they were very animated. The children really loved it. Uh, they were crazy, and the, I, I think. Personally, I think the crazier, the better. You know, so, some, somebody forgot their lines. I'm not going to say who, but somebody forgot their lines. Oh, no, that's the wrong line. I mean, even that was cool, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, the person I was thinking about was me. Um, I, I forgot my lines. And so it, it was just an amazing time. And some of you were enculturated into uh, some of the Mexican uh, desserts that we have, like um, Ivar Chocolate. Uh, which is Mexican chocolate. Ivara is the last name, uh, Mexican chocolate. And pan dulce, which is uh, sweet bread, which we generally have around uh, Christmas. Somebody said, hey, where's the champurrada? That's some other stuff. It's a liquid thing made out of uh, cornmeal, I think, and sweetened. It's like a, a real thick chocolate type of thing, but no. I mean, anyways, tamales. We were supposed to have tamales, and then I dropped the ball on that one. Well, again, I was out of town all week, you know, so at the same time. So it, it was, it's been a hard week. But but it was good. It was you know everybody you know and if if Jesus Christ just came to be born, then yesterday would have been fine. Oh, we had a good time. It was great. You know, now what do we do with our lives? You know, where are we going to stand now? How do I please God? What do I have to do to, to get to heaven? How, how am I going to make sure that God is, is appeased? Did did I bring enough food? Did I do right? Did did I, you know, did I set up the tables right? Did I bring enough presents? Did I, or maybe whatever the case, we would be doubting. We'd be living in fear. We would be living like most of the world, ignorant of not knowing Jesus Christ, what he's done on the cross. You see, you should not live in ignorance. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about those who have fallen asleep. I don't want you to be uninformed. I don't want you to be uh, without any knowledge as to understand that, yes, your loved one has died. Yes, but you're going to see them again. It's going to happen again. And so Paul is is constantly preaching to us the, the finished work of Christ because if all Jesus Christ came to do was to be born, then... Yesterday would have been the pinnacle of it for us as a church, and then whatever we do on the next Sunday, the twenty-fifth, would be okay. That's it until next year. But you see, God has purpose and plan in everything that He does, and so we have to understand that the finished work of Christ is the most important thing that we need to know. So we go to we go to Philippians chapter two, and and we let me read verses five and on because um, what Paul is what Paul is trying to get across. First of all, you know, I almost have to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to start in verse. Uh, the whole book. Nah, just in verse 1 of chapter 2. So, so it says here in verse 1, and I'm reading out of the English Standard Version. It says, So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affliction and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And you see, if we had Christ being born, then this is all we can do. You know, this is, this is, well, you know, I, I gotta act right. I gotta do right. But then Paul comes out to say this and he, and he starts this Christological statement that he, that is, is just amazing and how he put this together. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father in heaven, thank you once again for this amazing passage that theologians have just gone through and preached through and have studied and understood that this is the pinnacle of all the the writings of what Paul was trying to get across as far as Christology is concerned. And Lord, we revisit this portion of Scripture, and I know it's going to be reviewed for some of us, but Lord, I think we need to just hammer away at it, even more so, and more so. So I thank you, Lord. I thank you for this portion of Scripture that you give us this day as we move forward and toward the day that we celebrate, which is called Christmas. Thank you again, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. amen. Well, you know, we're going back over this portion of Scripture again, kind of like what we did with the music, again. which was bizarre. We just could not, okay, maybe I shouldn't include James in her. I could not. Nah, I'm going to include him too. We could not get it together. I just, I just, anyways, good music, all right? Praise God. It, it, we love God. And uh, we we love we love singing our songs to him. Number one, first of all, Jesus emptied himself of his divine glory. Jesus emptied himself. So what is Paul saying? Have this mind among yourselves, who is also in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant this word empty um it's kenosis and, and it's called the kenosis theology the emptying of jesus christ and and there's been a lot of debate as to what did he empty himself of how did he you know was he was he you know all man and not god or was he all god or and no man how did he empty himself what was he he had none of his divine attributes and therefore you know he couldn't do certain things but but it wasn't that he emptied himself of anything except his glory. Except his glory. And we're going to talk a little bit more about the other things the, of his attributes and eternal riches as well. But when Paul says, have this same mind, the mind, this mind among yourselves, which is yours, what Paul is referring to, first and foremost, to us, that we too ought to empty ourselves of ourselves. We Sometimes we're so full of ourselves that we think that my uh, opinion is the best and the only one we think that we should be honored and we should be lifted up we think that we should be the ones that should be focused upon when our focus should be on christ your focus should be on christ at all times paul is talking to these people in philippi philippi as you remember was a uh, roman providence it was a lot of the retired soldiers from rome had settled there and so it was very you know, very greek uh the grecian ar- architect literature uh, logic, everything. I mean, education. It, it was just this higher learning type of a, of a people. A lot of these men were soldiers. They'd given their life. PTSD must have been prevalent around them. So that was, a, you know, it was all about me. Look what I did. Look at the medals I won. Look at how much I know. Look at where I've been. What I've conquered. What I've done. So a lot of it was me, 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 my, 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 myself, 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 me, myself, and I, the unholy trinity. And sometimes we get caught up in that. We get caught up in the fact that, you know, I didn't get any Christmas presents this year. You know, everybody else got one except for me. I mean, I got one, you know, okay, maybe I got two, but I didn't get like everybody else. What about me? What about my promotion at work? How come everybody else was promoted? Everybody else got a cup and I didn't get a cup with my name on it. I got a, you know, I got a cup, but it didn't have my, you know, and so we're always thinking about ourselves and we have to be careful. Paul says, no, you can't have that kind of attitude because we are selfish. We we are self-centered. And and Paul says, have the same attitude of Christ because what Jesus Christ did is he came and he emptied himself. When he emptied himself, he emptied himself of his glory. John 17, 5 says this. Look at this. John 17, by the way, is right closer to the end of the Last Supper, right before he gets arrested, crucified, and murdered. And he says, and now, and this is in his priestly prayer. This is the Lord's prayer. Now, the, the, the prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 7, Our Father who art in heaven, that's not, chapter 6, excuse me, that's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the prayer for the disciples. That's the disciples' prayer. If you want to see the Lord's Prayer, here it is, and you'll see it all in chapter 17. But he says first and foremost, And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. See, Christmas was done way before December 25th, way before 2022 years ago, way before anything was even around God started Christmas with the glory of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, glorify me. I set my glory aside so that men could see who I was. I set my glory aside so that men can see that that I am just like them. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He is the radiance, which is now, He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His power. When we went through Philippians chapter 2, and we talked about um, also in Colossians chapter 1, when we talked the preeminence of Christ, In Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and we said this, that He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and him you're starting to make the connection now as i now that i brought it out you know what this is about jesus and beloved what we do and and, and I'm, I'm guilty of this also i always make the bible about me what can i get out of it what is he saying to me what do i need to do what do i how can i get blessed the word of god is about jesus christ that's it It's all about Him. We keep it focused on Him. Yes, we get blessed through it. Yes, there are things that He has promised. But that's not why I go to the Word of God. I want to know who Jesus Christ is in the Old Testament, in the New Testament. We'll look at Isaiah 45 here in just a bit. And and there's, there's Jesus written throughout all the pages. That's the focus. Christology is the focus of all that we do. You'll see it here in Philippians. You just saw it right now in Colossians chapter 1. and, and, And we're looking at this in Hebrews chapter 1. He says, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. And He upholds the universe by the word of His powers. Talking about Jesus Christ. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is Jesus Christ. You know, and so... He was, and he took away his glory, and God gave it back to him. Now he has the glory that he had from the beginning of the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God. And Jesus says, well, I said it again in 17.5, I guess God wanted us to know this. (laughs) And now, Father, glorify me in your presence, in your presence with the glory that I had before you. That glory, it, it was veiled with the skin that animated the body of Jesus Christ. That glory was shown just a little bit at the transfiguration don't know if you remember that jesus went up into the mountain and he was praying and all of a sudden his body just turned like it was white light it was a bright light and there were two other men standing beside them and they recognized him as moses and elijah and they were all like wow you know th- this this is amazing we're getting to see god you know and they didn't die they didn't actually see god because if they would have seen all of his glory they would have been zapped as well and they wanted to build this temple. Let's build temples. Let's worship this, these things. Jesus is saying, oh, you don't understand. My glory is being revealed right now because it's not time for you to see this. And the glory of God was hidden from us and him. You know, there was nothing about him that made him stand out. He didn't walk around with the halo, as some pictures do. He didn't walk around with his hands constantly like this or with a little goat or sheep on his arm. He didn't walk around, you know, glowing, he was just a regular guy. He was a construction worker, okay, a, ca- a carpenter. He had rough hands, you know, and he was pretty. Well, I'm sure he must have been pretty strong to flip over tables, you know, and make a whip and start chasing people. He had to be strong to carry that cross. He had to be strong. You see, and and so with Jesus Christ. What he did is he emptied himself. And Paul tells us in Coloss- uh, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 8-9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He had it all. He had God's glory. He had it all. And he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Now, beloved, don't take this as material possessions as some people have, don't take this as, as you know, that you're going to get now riches because he became poor. Now, where's my money? Where's my riches? Where's my gold? Where's my Lamborghini? I want a Lambo. You know, I want a mansion now. I don't want it later. And people claim it and they name it and they want it because according to this verse, I'm supposed to be rich. I'm supposed to be rich according to what Jesus became poor. Good. I'm glad he lost all that so I can get everything that I can get. It's the attitude that a lot of people have. But see, the riches that he's talking about is eternal life. You're not going to take anything with you, beloved. Nothing. This is all we have. And everything gets left behind. None of us are able to take anything. He emptied himself of his deity, excuse me, of his divine glory. Number two, he emptied himself of his divine authority. He still had authority. But that divine authority that comes solely from God. here for just a moment Can you put me on pause or silent i'm back i had positioned that in the wrong spot so i was i was hearing the crackles but he emptied himself of his divine authority again paul says in verse 7 but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men you see here's jesus christ Elevated, high and lifted up, receiving praise from all the redeemed in history, from all the angels and all the authorities and all the principalities, receiving this glory and this praise from, from everything and everyone and all authority. Then he steps down into humanity, into this world. He comes in the form of a babe, not just, you know, uh, not, not a, 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 into a, a, a king's palace or not a rich man's babe. But a babe, a humble servant, Mary and Joseph, they weren't well off. I mean, they had money, but they didn't have a whole lot. They had things. Joseph was a carpenter, and he made his living by making materials, making tables and chairs for those that were well to do. And so he was able to use his trade to provide for his family. But but Jesus Christ didn't come born into a palace or into a rich man's home. He came in a very lonely state. You know... Joseph had enough to travel, but not enough to make a reservation at a inn, at a hotel. He had enough to get there, but once there, he couldn't buy his way into a place where his wife would deliver their newborn baby. And he did the best he could. And the best he could was the best that God had for us. See, Jesus Christ, he lowered himself and he came down to our level, the level that you and I have and he made himself the bible says here that he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant of a bondservant of a slave he, he took on the, the form of a bondservant as a matter of fact when the disciples were arguing who's going to be the greatest i'm going to be the greatest no i'm going to be the greatest i've done more for jesus christ than you have you know he likes me more you know he trusts me more i'm able to you know he's always taking me with him every time he goes in for prayer it's just me peter and james you know it's just it's just us john peter and james always the three and so they're arguing, no, no, but I've done. And, and what Jesus interrupts them, he says to them in Luke 22, he says, for who is the greater, one who reclines at table or one who serves? Is it not the one who reclines at table? He's the greater one. But I among you, but I am among you as the one who serves. Jesus Christ is telling them, you know, I'm, I'm serving you guys. As a matter of fact, he says, let me, let me show you guys something. He takes the towel, wraps it around his waist. And he gets the bowl of water. If you've been to our Seder, you'll know that there is a ceremonial washing of hands that takes place prior to the uh, Passover meal being distributed. And there's there's a choreograph of events that take place with the foods and the herbs and, and the salt water and all these various parts of the Seder and during Passover they go through this and they explain this is what happened and this is why we call it the Passover lamb because the angel of death came and killed the firstborn of all except for us that had the blood on the, the on the doorposts and the angel of death passed over us and and so they would teach this to their children every year every year every year and every year they would have this bowl and we we put a bowl out on our table and uh, no I I don't wash feet uh, I've seen some of your feet and I'm not going to wash yeah. feet uh, you know, but uh, I don't know, maybe sometime I guess we're going to have to. But uh, anyways, he takes the bowl uh, and, and we, what we do ceremonially, what we do is we take the bowl and we wash our hands. And they didn't have soap and water and they weren't too worried about bacteria back then as we are. Uh, they weren't so crazy about that. But, but what they did is they would dip their hands in the water and let it flow down their, down their wrists like this. And then they would just shake the water off and then they would dry it with a towel and they would pass the, the bowl around. Jesus took that bowl. And what he did is he put a towel around his waist and he went around each one and started to wash their feet. See, because every Jewish home had a servant that would wash your feet when he came in from the dusty road. He was like a doormat, literally. You know, like when you walk into somebody's house and they have a doormat. Or maybe you have a doormat at your house. Maybe you have your people take off their shoes. You know, there's a there's a ritual for some people. But the point is, is that you don't walk into a person's house unless you, you know, make sure that your feet aren't. You know, especially you walk in, there and say, Man, that carpet's white. You know, I don't know if I want to walk in there. You know, you start looking around. But you wipe your feet, you dust your feet as best you can out of respect. And for your benefit and the host's benefit, they generally have a floor mat, a doormat. And when you walk in, you, you know, it would be nothing. Sometimes you recognize it because it's a beautiful picture. Or sometimes it's just the doormat. And that's the way these people walked in. And there was a slave right there. And he would just, you know, wash that foot, wash that foot, thank you. You know, not even tipping, just walk right in. Well, during this time, the supper, remember, Jesus had asked his disciples, go and find us this place that we're going to have. Just ask, you know, just go over there and talk to this man and let him know that we've already set it up. There's a place already set up. So it wasn't even their home. They all walked in there and Jesus walks around. There, Nobody had washed their feet. He took the bowl and washed their feet. He says, look, I didn't come to be served, he says. I came to serve you. And I've showed you an example of how Service should be. I don't know if you remember here a few weeks ago we talked about minister. A minister is uh the word that Paul uses in Greek is diakonos, which is deacon, a table waiter. That is what a pastor does. A pastor serves you. He works for you. He's he 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 should honor you and, and help you. Don't ever, ever feel like you have to you can't call me in the middle of the night or bother me. That's my responsibility. I am here to serve you. You're not here to serve me. I get phone calls all the time. And, you know, sometimes I'm, I'm confused, like, what? What what day is it? You know, what do you want? Sometimes I, I recognize it. It was one night, you know, just not too long ago, I was, I was I, I couldn't go to sleep. And, you know, I've been dealing with things with my mom, and I stood up, and all of a sudden my phone rings. Pastor, my mom's getting ready to die. She has less than 24 hours. Can you pray for her? I'm on my way. Three hours later, she passed away. That was Lupe But I've done that over and over again. Uh, you know, my mom's in a hospital, my dad's in a hospital. I'm here to serve you, you know, in, in whatever way. That's what, a, that's what a deacon is. That's the example that Jesus Christ left us. The moment you start seeing me just sitting on my chair, hey, you guys do this, you guys do that, you know. Okay, then you got to start wondering, what kind of service are you doing? You know, if well, if the yesterday was an indication of where we want to be as far as our celebration and our people and everybody else that's coming, that's where we're going. And so as a pastor, I need to make more ministers, deacons and help you to do the same thing as i serve you you serve the congregation and as the congregation grows you start bringing other people along and you serve them as they serve the congregation do you see how that works but it's never you know hierarchy from the top down we didn't come here to be served we are here to serve and to give our life as a ransom for many is what jesus christ said to come to do uh, in Mark 10, 45, oh, there it is. I knew I had it. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Number three, he emptied himself of his divine attributes. He emptied himself of his divine attributes. The rest of that verse says, uh, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being born in the likeness of men, I touched a little bit on this a little while ago. He had no stately beauty, Isaiah says. There was nothing about him that really made him stand out. He was just a regular Jew. He was. If he was a regular Jew, he must have been dark complected uh, you know, not blue-eyed. I don't know. Maybe I don't know if he had blue eyes or not. But he was dark complexed like most Jews. Had long hair, of course, and you know, he wore sandals. Uh, He's probably more Mexican than anything else, you know, Guarachis. No, he was, he he had no robe of of color or no, you know, whitely robe or priestly robe of anything. He was just a regular guy. And we have to understand that, that he was just just like you and me. He didn't make any uh, noise. He didn't make any, you know, there weren't trumpets and, and angels blasting. Every time he walked through, you know, people didn't just part because he said so, or because of who he was. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4:15, it says, "For we do not have a high priest who was unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin." He was tempted just like us. Everything that you've been tempted with, you can be tempted with. He was tempted with that. There was a message I did out of First John chapter five that. Every temptation can be summed up in three. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Everything that we see, everything that we want, and our own pride and arrogance. And if you look at the temptation of Eve, she saw that the fruit was good and pleasing to eat, lust of the eye, and good for the body, lust of the flesh. And the serpent told her, you know, God doesn't want you to eat this because he knows that the moment you eat this, you will be just like him. I want to be like him. I want to be my own god, and she took. Jesus Christ was tempted with the same three. Look at this. You know, after forty days, look at the stone. I mean, look how round it looks. I mean, it's even the color. You could, like bread? You could make that into bread. And what Jesus didn't argue, he didn't complain, he didn't try to reason it out with Satan. What he used was the word of God, or his word. He says, "Man shall not live by bread alone." So the Bible says in Deuteronomy. You know, I mean, if if you just you know, bow down to me. I will give you everything. You should not tempt the Lord your God. You know, jump off this pinnacle, and I'm sure that God's going to save you. And every every temptation that Jesus Christ went through, that Eve went through, that you and I go through, can be summed up in the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And beloved, because you already know that. And you know that that's what Satan's going to attack you with. And every one of you have a different lust in your eye for certain things, certain bling, I guess you would say certain type of personalities or people that you're automatically drawn to. And and your flesh is is just, you got this flesh, and it's going to constantly grow on you and, and it become more and more, uh, I mean, it, it, it wants to eat. And it wants to eat the good stuff. And my flesh wants to eat good stuff. And, and I've got to tame my flesh. My flesh is constantly crying out and I have to change the channel, turn my head, you know, think about doing something else or, or satisfying myself in a whole different way. Not the way the world is telling me. My, my, my eyes and my flesh, lust of the eye, lust of the flesh. It, it is just so prevalent and I've got to confess and I've got to repent. And we're born that way. We're little children that way. Have you ever seen a little child? I mean, it didn't take long for the baby to show who who runs the house, right? <laughs> I mean, wow, well, I am hungry and I'm hungry now. Okay, but it's 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't care. I'm mean, That's what he's saying. I could care less. You know, they're little sinners. They really, we all are. They're little vipers in diapers, you know? <laughs> you know, God made them so cute so you don't kill them. <laughs> But then he made them so little so they don't kill you, you know? I mean, uh, it's just, they're, they're, we were born that way. And that flesh just cries out. And, and, you know, Jesus had that same flesh. And he cried as well. But not in a sense of, you know, demanding it. Because the Bible says he didn't sin. Yes, he needed food. And, 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 you know, when a baby cries, this is just basically, you know, when, when the dad has her or when grandpa has the baby, when the baby's crying, it's just basically saying, you know, you're just not doing it for me. Go get mom. It's it's a warning, you know that. You know I'm really gonna just explode here in just a little bit. The fussier he gets, you know, you better go get mom <laughs> or grandma, somebody that knows what they're doing. You got you got you know, and, and this is what that's this crying is. It's a warning system. It's a it's a survival instinct that God gives us to so we can warn our parents because parents, you know, they get not neglectful, but you know, sometimes we just and that's that turns into sin the older they get the more they demand the more and we have to help them we have to help them to deter that and to build that in them and it's amazing that as as soon as they get tall enough you know that god designed them you know with with this extra padding right about you know swinging motion you know right about there you know so you can and it doesn't hurt it stings. But it doesn't, you know, you just don't go go around abusing your child, but you discipline them, the Bible says. Okay, I know it says with the rod, don't don't pick up a stick. You know, they're designed for this, okay? And you discipline them. You help them to grow because if not, have you ever seen a child out of control, undisciplined? You know? I mean, it's cute, I guess, for the first 10 years, and it's funny for the next 10 years, but after a while it just gets pathetic. It's like, my God, you know? Come here, let, let me hit you with the stick now. <laughs> you know, after a while, it's just like, I. you know, what happened? In Spanish, they call it malcriado. Yeah, it means a bad kid. Or the actual translation of this ad is mal or bad, criado or raised up. Raised up, bad or wrong. You weren't raised right. You were raised by a pack of wolves, weren't you? And And th- that is the sinful flesh. We all have it. And the moment of regeneration, you are born again. And you are given a new nature. The old is gone, the new has come. And with that, you have to discipline your body and fight off the flesh, fight off the eyes and that pride of life. And Satan knows exactly what your pride of the eyes, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life is. He knows. Every one of us have a different one. You see, when Jesus emptied himself of his attributes, he emptied himself of that ability to, to be able just to... To do the things that, that uh, because he was born in the likeness of man, he didn't have the same concepts or the same things that he did before. He wouldn't fly, put it that way. He wouldn't just disappear and come back to life or somewhere else. He did later. He wouldn't go through walls. There were certain things that he just couldn't do until after he was glorified. And his attributes, so that he can become fully man. And people can see who he was. Isaiah 53 tells us perfectly. As I said earlier, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and he was esteemed and we esteemed him not. He was despised. He was rejected. He was hated. He was not, he did not like him. There was nothing about him that said, this is God, except for what he did and what he said. Yeah, he doesn't look like a king. Yeah, he doesn't look like royalty. He doesn't look like anything. It can't be him. And, uh, you know, I, I'm prettier than this man. People would say, I, you know, I've got more than this man. But what does this man have? He doesn't have anything. How can he lead us? If they would just listen to the word. Number four, he emptied himself of, of his eternal riches. His eternal riches. I spoke of this a little while ago, the riches that he had in heaven and how the angels worshipped him, how uh, the redeemed worshipped him, how those that were the saints had worshipped Everything was about Jesus Christ because It is by him that all things were created. Everything is his. The planets, the stars, the trees, everything worships Jesus Christ. Everything does. The trees even raise their their branches. They go up like this. They they, they praise Jesus Christ. The birds, they sing their songs to Jesus Christ. The, the, The world revolves and rotates and moves just the way Jesus Christ said. Everything, everything obeys Jesus Christ except for one. That's you and me. And he emptied himself of all those riches. Then, when he came onto this planet as a man, as a servant, as as he gave himself, he emptied himself, he became poor to the point of death. And having to endure all of that, put away everything that he had for all eternity, and for 33 years endure what this planet just unleashed on him. How it all just came down upon who he was. His eternal riches. And you know, for him, it was just a short time. He'd say, I'd do it again. I'd do it again. Number five. Oh, well, let me, Second let me, Corinthians 8 and 9, I, I think we talked about this already. For you, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. And then number five, God exalted him to the highest, to his divine standing. And this is beautiful. I mean, this, this, is, this is a portion of Scripture that I think that you should memorize the whole thing, I mean, if you can. So therefore, you remember that word therefore. You got to look at it. Why was that their word therefore? Because what Paul just said, that he emptied himself of his divine glory, authority, attributes, eternal riches. And therefore, because he was able to endure and go through all that, therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Christmas is about recognizing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Christmas, every knee shall bow. You know, the wise men came from the Orient. They were told possibly by Daniel. Daniel was considered to be a magi or a, a wise man, because he was a very intelligent young man. Nebuchadnezzar really loved this guy. He says, you know, you've got a lot of wisdom for being young. And so he was put in charge of the Magi of of, uh, Babylonia. And as he was placed in charge of the Magi, he had the Word of God and he instructed these people on, on how this king was to come, and and so it is it is assumed, and you know we can, we can assume that it is assumed that possibly in the time of the captivity, when the Jews were taken to Babylonia under the leadership of Nebuchadnezzar, that Daniel was able to instruct a lot of these wise men that they had written for years and years and years for five hundred years they're reading this stuff, then all of a sudden they're saying, hey look, there's that that sign that we learned about, but what was that Jew's name? Daniel. Oh yeah, Daniel's writings. Look, there it goes. That that's let's go see. And they mounted up, and uh, how many wise men were there, by the way? Anybody know? Okay, don't don't say three. <laughs> don't say three. <laughs> because we don't know. <laughs> All we know is they brought frankincense, gold, and myrrh. You know, it just says wise men came from these. Were they riding a donkey or a camel? Okay, now I'm getting a little more complicated. <laughs> Camels, no, we don't know. All we know is that these wise men brought three gifts. You have that right. And it could have been more. And, and you know, three guys, you know, especially with this kind of loot on them, they're not going to be traveling alone. I'm sure they had an entourage. And they came to worship. They, they took their time to get to the point of where this celestial beacon was leading them. And, and they, they traveled the distance from way out in the Orient over to where Jerusalem was, Bethlehem. And, and everybody knew this, this whole thing about Jesus coming in, in the flesh or God showing in the flesh. Everyone knew about this time because they showed up and they come to Herod. Well, Herod, you're, you're one of the kings here, right? Yeah. They didn't know anything about Herod. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we come to worship the king of the Jews. Hey, well, I'm the king of the Jews. He thought, but what are you talking about? Hold on. Let me get, we brought, he brought his wise men and the wise men came out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's supposed to be born under the star, I guess. Yeah. That's right. It's supposed to be right. But where? In Bethlehem. So what the Bible says. The Old Testament said that the, the virgin will have a child and he will be born in Bethlehem. And he, will, he would come out of Egypt. And he would be born, he would be out of Nazareth as well. Now you think about this. Think about this clearly. Born in Bethlehem, come out of Egypt, Nazareth. Three different totally places, to- to- totally different places. The guys are probably scratching your head and says, is it three guys? How is one person going to come out of three places? How how is this going to happen? And so they just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. It says here Bethlehem, but he's supposed to come out of Egypt. And and, and then again, it says that he's out of Nazareth. I don't know how that works. And it was a mystery. They did not know how that worked. I'll share with you in just a little bit. Anyways, so the wise men are told it's in Bethlehem. So they go and they find where the child is and they worship him. Oh, as a matter of fact, Herod said, yeah, you know what? I want to worship him too. I want to worship this Christ that is born on this day, the king of the Jews. So make sure you come back and tell me where he is. Herod was a bloodthirsty king. He slaughtered his wife and his children because he was afraid that his wife was going to bear another son and bring in another king. He killed his best friend. He was just he was a wicked, evil king. He was the, he was the king that when he found out that the wise men didn't come back to tell them where Jesus Christ were the the Christ was born, that he went out and he ordered that all the children, from two years on down, to be slaughtered. And it was a it was it was crying and wailing, you know. Yeah, that's how evil he was. And, and you see, here's here's the point I'm trying to make. God exalted him to the highest standing, highest place. And so we celebrate Christmas because we know who Jesus Christ is. We don't celebrate it, and I pray that you don't celebrate it like the world, because the world wants to worship Jesus but they want to do it in their way. They want to do it like they want to do it. commercialized gifts, presents, everything else. Everything but Christ. But they still call it Christ Mass. And the world, like King Herod, they want the benefit of Christ, but they don't want anything to do with Christ. The world knows, like the priests, about Christ but they don't want to have to submit to Christ. The wise men, the magi that came from the Orient, they came, like you, I I pray, to worship the Christ. You see, there is a a stark difference as to how we look at Christmas and how we should look at Christmas and the world looks at Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus. Always has been. Everything is about him. Christology is your Christmas. your friend you need to know your christology jesus christ is god and he is sufficient and throughout the rest of the and now that you know this you're going to be catching glimpses of that as we go through this because god raised him has highly exalted him way highly exalted him way up there and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that the name of jesus jesus is emmanuel god with us every knee should bow God is not saying just the Christians, just those that believe every knee shall bow. when God says that every knee shall bow, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Now look at that. everywhere what is under the earth this it's a symbolization of the demonic influences which we call hell and which is you know not even earthly, it's under the earth. But we, what's in heaven? Well, the things that we consider to be celestial and, and heavenly, like the heavenly bodies and like the angels. And everything in heaven and everyone on earth and everything under the earth. They're going to bow. And they're going to recognize that He is Lord. They're going to recognize that He is the Christ. They're not going to worship Him like the Magi, but they'll know Him like Herod. And they're going to confess that they're gonna, you know, not gonna say, "Oh okay." Uh, let me tell you, God. Let me tell you something that uh, why I didn't. No, no. They're gonna say, "I agree with you." Yes, He is the Lord. He is Christ, the Lord. They're gonna confess that. They're gonna know that. Paul says this in Romans fourteen, and if you look at Romans fourteen, uh, he he says this out of uh, this is out of Isaiah Isaiah forty five. For it is written. Paul does that a lot, especially in Romans. As it is written, as the word of God says, as I live, says the Lord. Every knee shall bow to me. Every tongue shall confess. Every knee, meaning that every person, every tongue, meaning every nationality, every race, every language, shall confess or give praise to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. It's going to happen. It's going to take place. And I pray that you, uh, as, as believers, regenerated, give God the glory through jesus christ as he deserves it and do not wait until that time again in romans 10 9 it says because if you confess with your mouth that jesus is lord and believe in your heart that god raised him from the dead you will be saved now we just talked about confession and how every tongue is going to confess so does that mean when they confess that they are saved as well well we know that that's not true we don't believe in universalism not everybody is saved just because they say Lord or just because they say, they confess. Yeah, I know he's God. Yeah, I, I know Jesus Christ is God. The demons even know that Jesus Christ is God. This belief, every tongue will confess. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart, there has to be a belief system that radically changes you, that changes you from who you are to who you need to be. Many of you, I uh, have belief in, in a lot of things, in football teams, in, in work, and politics. and You have beliefs that have changed the way you look at things, that have changed your life and how you operate in your life according to those beliefs. Uh, for football players, I mean, you must have hundreds of dollars worth of jerseys and paraphernalia all in your house, you know. And, and I'm, I know I'm being light for some football fans. Some have thousands of dollars invested in their sports team. And they'll go to all these events. Again, you know, I, I have sports more, more really also. You know, and I, I believe in my, well, I'm not even going to say the team anymore because I don't, anyways. I believe in my team, but, I, you know, they're not going to make it to the Super Bowl this year. You know, that's how much I believe in them. Some of you have beliefs in your politics and in your jobs and in your uh, families, whatever the case may be. And it's changed your life. When you get married, you, you know, it changes you. You believe in that person enough to be able to change you from what you used to be to what you should be together. It changes you. And you don't want to do the things you did before to offend that person or that job or whatever the case may be. You want to change your life and move forward in the right direction. When you believe in God, it changes your life. You hate sin because you know that God hates sin. You hate it. It sickens you. You want to get rid of it. You hate it. You want to honor God, and you want to love God, and you desire God because that is what you believe in. Your beliefs ought to change who you are completely, totally, 100%. You can't just say you believe and, well, you know, maybe. Yeah, well, you know, sometimes. No. And we can't do that 100%. Because Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, with all your strength. And we don't do that. And that in itself is a sin. Sins of omission. And I confess. I repent. Lord, I'm not able to do so. Not that I'm thinking of bad things. Sometimes I'm thinking about my grandkids or my wife. You know, recently I've been so consumed with the passing of my mom. and So, you know, again, I mean, we get consumed in our thought process by things that aren't necessarily bad, but they're not all about Jesus Christ. And so we sin, we confess, and we repent, and we move forward. But that's our desire. Our desire is to want to do that when you believe. When people tell you, well, I believe, really. I mean, you can evaluate it. You can, you can try to, you know, pinpoint them if you want, if you're experienced enough in the Word of God to show them. But, you know, it doesn't really take that much experience. What does your life say? Show me your cell phone. Let me see your pictures. I'll tell you what's really, what you really believe in. Let me see your Facebook page. You know, what, what, are, you, what are you posting? You know, let, let me see let me see your bank account. Let me see where you're investing all your money's at. You, you know, the, your beliefs are going to change your life. It's going to change who you are. This is the beginning of Christmas. When Jesus Christ invaded this planet, humbled himself, brought himself down into this planet, into the servant, into a man, human, servant to the point of death. That's why God. Glorified. let me ask you to stand I love Christmas I do I love watching my grandkids and my children get all excited about it I love the presents did I say I love the presents yeah, I like presents I like all the presents but you know what if it wasn't for the dying of Jesus Christ, I said this earlier, Jesus Christ would have just came and been born, great. But he died on the cross for us. And he's exalted because he was willing to go to the point of death. Father in heaven, thank you again for that that great reminder that Christmas is all about the cross. Yes, we know that he was born. But we need to honor that as to why and what he come to do. He's come here, Lord to provide salvation for his people. And I pray that each one of us can grasp that and and understand that. Now that we know a little bit more about who Jesus is, help us to emulate him and to walk according to his lifestyle, what will honor him. Lord, I thank you for this moment, this time that you give us to be able to share your word and uh, the fellowship that takes place afterward. I pray you just continue to be with us. Lead us in all things, Father, we pray. In Jesus' name, everyone says, amen and amen. All right, see you guys next Sunday, Christmas Day.